Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Good morning, church. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to continue through our series in the book of Galatians called No Other Gospel. And uh, we have reached chapter 2, and we're going to take on the entire chapter this morning. So uh, just go ahead and be turning there. If you need a Bible, there should be a black hardback ESV there near you. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. You feel free to take that today. Uh, real quick, uh, one thing we forgot to announce is next Sunday uh, on November the 17th at 6 p.m. is our Thanksgiving banquet. And that's our, that's our church family Thanksgiving dinner, okay? So if you're here, your family, and you are invited, uh, come back at uh, 6 p.m. next week. Uh, we're catering farmhouse uh, turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes and green beans and rolls and your dessert that you bring. That's what we're catering. So uh, if you'll bring a dessert to share, we'll throw it all on this big dessert table and, and uh, watch the kids have sugar highs and run around because that's what happens. But uh, yeah, we would love to invite you back to be a part of that. Uh, the deacons will serve you. So when you come in, you just find yourself a seat. Uh, the decorating committee will make it look beautiful in there, and you'll come in, find a seat. Deacons and staff are going to serve you, and uh, just we're thankful for you. And so we're thankful for Jesus Christ, and so we're going to celebrate that together. All right? All right, Galatians chapter 2. As we've been going through this, we've kind of... Uh, use this thesis statement the entire time. God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him. So there's this default mode that we all go into that I, there is something I must do to make God happy with me. There's something I must do so that God approves of me. And so what we've been saying here is that gospel grace is found in Jesus Christ. And so it's not based on your performance for him. Rather, it's based on Christ's work on your behalf. The cross has the final word. Amen? So this is what the gospel teaches us. And so as we get into Galatians 2, Paul now is going to um, claim that external adherence and appearance are not what make you a Christian. And uh, I, I normally read through the entire chapter or the entire section we're going through and then kind of go back. Since it's so lengthy, we're going to break it into different sections as we go through so it's not so much reading at one time. But Paul's claim that external adherence and appearance are not what make you a Christian. So I thought we could play a fun game. Pastor Al, he taught on this chapter some six, seven years ago, and he played this game. And so I thought I would bring it back up called, What Does a Christian Look Like? Are you ready to play What Does a Christian Look Like? Man, you guys, wake up. Okay, what does a Christian look like? Is this what a Christian looks like? Hmm. Okay, so uh, this, this might be, you might be like, I hope that's not what a Christian looks like. What about this? Is this what a Christian looks like? All right, getting warmer, maybe. How about this? Oh, yes, a nice family sitting in a pew, kind of looks like us this morning. Right, that's, that's what, a, is that what a Christian looks like? Mm, what about this? Is that what a Christian looks like? Some of you may know, that's Brian Welch. He used to play for the band Corn, who actually gave his life to Christ and now has an awesome testimony on I Am Second. Hmm, is this what a Christian looks like? Wait a second, how'd that get in there? Uh, moving on. Is this what a Christian looks like? Uh, all the youth, you're so happy, aren't you? Right. For the older generation, that's Kanye West. He's a rapper. And um, so is that what a Christian looks like? He just put out an album called Jesus is King. 
and it's getting a lot of buzz. There's been a lot of memes that come along with this, like, uh, <laughs> like uh, Lord, we pray for revival. And he says, okay, I'll save Kanye West. Nah, that's not what I had in mind. Um, there was that one. I thought that was interesting. And if, if God can save Paul, he can save Kanye, right? That's right. <laughs> You're like, that's right. That one speaks. Preach it, brother. Okay, so um, what does a Christian look like? All right, I warmed you up a little bit. The thing is, is we like to make sure that we look at externals rather than internals when it comes to judging whether or not someone is a Christian. And that's when we get into a lot of trouble because we become very legalistic. Timothy Keller says this way, legalism is looking to something besides Jesus Christ in order to be acceptable and clean before God. It's looking to anything that I can do, any way that I can act, any way that I can adhere so that I look like a Christian and so I'm acceptable before God. Legalism always results in pride and fear psychologically and exclusion and strife socially. So if, if you begin to nitpick and point out externals and what people are doing and not doing and what you're doing and what you're not doing, psychologically, it's going to have an effect on you. You're going to become very prideful in your ability to do these things and follow these rules, or you become very fearful that you're not living up to these expectations and able to follow these rules. And then if that's personally what's going on, then socially you're going to have a problem because you're going to have strife with others who don't meet the same standard that you think they should meet, or you don't meet the same standard, and so that causes strife against you, or exclusion. I just don't fit in. I don't feel like I belong to this church because I don't look like they look. I don't talk like they talk. I don't act like they act. And so then we have a real problem with what does a Christian look like. You see, if we're looking at our ability to keep an external adherence to man-made rules, denominational parameters, or cultural guidelines to justify our Christianity, then we are looking at a different gospel. There's no other gospel than what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. It's not about externals. It's not about adherence to rules, no matter what the parameters are, whether it's cultural or denominational or even political. But many of us find it easier to emphasize our denominational, political, and cultural distinctions over the gospel grace we have in Jesus Christ. It's so much easier to draw a line in the sand and say, nope, this is what a Christian looks like because this has the same value system that I have. This has the same lifestyle that I have. This one adheres to the same rules that I adhere to. So therefore, this must be a Christian. And there's so many things that I could say that I've heard that I just don't want to say because that would lead us down a path that would crash. Okay, that would crash. So um, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to jump into Scripture. I heard one pastor say it this way, though. Why is it that there's so many Christians in so many churches concerned about issues that aren't even in the Bible. Can I pray? Father, we come to you this morning in desperate need of your light to shine on your gospel so that we can know the truth. You are truth, and you reveal truth, and in you is truth. So, Father, we come to you asking for truth. We ask for your gospel. We ask for gospel clarity so that we can live a life that honors and glorifies you because we allow you to live in and through us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. No other gospel justifies. So we're going to pick up there in chapter 2 and read the first section. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas 
taking Titus along with me, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. You don't see that verse on coffee mugs, do you? <laughs> verse 4. I bet it'd sell. All right, verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now get this, there's some stuff happening here and Paul is doing everything he can to preserve the gospel truth for us. That's, that's important. Verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. What had happened here is that these Judaizers had moved their way into the Gentile, into the Galatian churches, and they were telling Gentiles that they need to be circumcised. They needed to follow these Jewish customs. They needed to look a certain way. They needed to adhere to certain rules in order to be Christian. You've got to, yes, have Jesus plus something in order to be accepted. And, and so Paul's like, look, these people were very influential, and they had a very good case but we did everything we could to preserve the gospel truth for you. That it is Jesus Christ and Christ alone that makes you right before God. So this is important because external conformity without internal transformation is a right behavior with a wrong belief. There's a lot of us that want to have the right behavior, to act a certain way, to, to look a certain way, and still have the wrong belief system. See, looking the part without being the part is easy in a cultural Christian environment. It's super easy for us to know the hidden rules and how to act and how to talk and how to look Christian without ever really giving our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ and live by faith. It's easy for us to fit in when you live in a cultural Christian society, especially when you live in the Bible Belt, because we've all grown up saying, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, I've heard that so-and-so is a Christian and that person's a Christian because they adhere to all of these externals and these rules and they live by these things, and so they look the part without ever really believing and being a part. So there was this problem also in Jesus' day. There were many who thought they were good because they were religious. And in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Dean and Sarah, he writes a book and he says this, Jesus is talking to religious, good, rule-following, moral people who look good, who act good, dress good, and do a lot of good works. And when Jesus says, look, a day's coming when I will say, I, I never knew you. Their response will be, but didn't we? Didn't we do these things? Didn't we, didn't we say grace before dinner? Didn't we have values when we voted? Didn't we believe prayer should be allowed in school? Didn't we go to church? 
Didn't we believe in God? Didn't we make, give money to the church? Didn't we have our own Bibles? Didn't we want America to return to its Christian roots? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? The truth of the gospel is, as long as our focus is on what we do for justification, we miss the gospel truth of what he did for our justification. As long as our focus is on what I'm doing for Christ, we've missed it. Because we can't earn justification. We can't earn a right standing with God. There's nothing that we can do, rule following or, or anything, that God's going to be like, oh, now that's what I'm pleased in. Because our good works are as filthy rags. And if you really want to look up what that means, it, 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 is, it is far worse than how we've made it sound with filthy rags. There is nothing we bring to the table for sanctification and salvation but our sin. Here's what I have. But didn't we? Didn't we? The truth of the gospel that Paul's preserving is this, that justification is a declaration. It is a declaration. It's important because justification is not an, it's, it's an act. It's not a process by where we become more justified tomorrow than we are today by what we do. And so many of us, we believe that our sanctification is how I'm getting better and better and better at following these rules and fitting in and looking like a Christian. When justification is really, and sanctification is really what Christ is doing in you to produce his character in you because he's living in and through you. And the more that you have faith and belief in Jesus, the more you offer your life to him, the more you will see him do things and live out in you ways that you never thought were possible. Sanctification is God's work, not our work of getting better. Not us doing moral conformity. Justification is not us getting better day to day to day. Justification is a declaration. As David Platt says, justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. It is at the cross that we are declared justified. The cross has the final word. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 60, is this. How are you righteous before God? How are you righteous before God? I want you to get this answer. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God without any merit of my own, out of mere grace imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept the gift with a believing heart. Justification. At that moment that you put your faith and belief in Jesus Christ, your past, your present, and your future sins are all dealt with. You are seen clean before Jesus Christ, and it's not anything that you can do to earn that. It's God's free gift. It's grace. There's no other gospel. Every other, every other religion says, how can I earn my way to God? How can I be good enough? How can I, how can I prove myself? Except for Christianity, because Christianity is about how God came to man. You can't be good enough. I had a young man stop me one, one morning. 
And he said, hey, all these religions have faith. And you're, you're talking about faith. What's the difference? And I said, the object of faith. Your faith is only as good as what it's in. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, the one who did it all, then your faith is secure. But if your faith is in what you can do, it will fail you every single time. No other gospel justifies. Second one is no other gospel unifies. Let's keep reading verse 9. And when James and Cephas, which is Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So Paul here is saying, look, we went to these pillars of the faith. We went to James and John and Peter. We went to these, these guys and we said, look, this is the gospel. This is what we've received. This is the grace that God's imputed to us. And they were like, yes, let's go on mission. You go and we will go. Only remember those who are poor. So we should go to the Gentiles and they should go to the circumcised. United in purpose, but diverse in practice. This is where the church fights for unity. Because we are united in purpose. God has all given us a purpose for our lives. To go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those who don't know him. We've all been saved for the glory of God to let Jesus Christ live in and through us in our daily life. We've all been called with a purpose to surrender our lives to him and let him live in and through us. Right? We all have the same purpose. Here's the problem. We're all going to practice that differently. Some of us are going to go this way, and some of us are going to go this way. You go to the Gentiles, and we'll go to the circumcised, but let's go with purpose. Let's go with what God's called us to do. But what happens in the church is we draw lines in these exteriors that we've talked about, whether denominationally or politically or culturally, and we say, mm, you're not doing it right. You must not be a Christian because you're not following the same rules that I'm following. United in purpose, diverse in practice, diversity in Christian practice doesn't discount the unity of Christian purpose. You and I will reach people differently. You know why? Because we're not the same. If you look around, do we all look the same? Some of you are like, man, I hope not. Because if I look like you, <laughs> right? We all look around. We're all going to be diverse. We're all going to be different. We're all going to have different personalities. We're all going to have different bents on, on certain things. We're all going to have all of these things, how we dress, how we act, how we talk. All these things, all these things are going to be different. And you know why? Because I can reach people that are different than the people that you can reach with the gospel. I'll get in front of, uh, of friends and, and coworkers and different things. I don't have coworkers that are lost. Praise the Lord, right? Aren't you glad? Um, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be rough. But you, you, I, we all know you have coworkers that are lost, right? So you can be in front of people that don't know Jesus that I can't be in front of. And it's because we're called to be diverse in how we live out the purpose that God has in our life. But if we begin to say, no, 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 we all got to do it the same. We all got to dress the same. We all got to act the same. We all got to follow these rules. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this because that's what makes God happy. Then we will be so disunified as a body that the world will look at us and go, I don't want to be a part of that. 
Is that not what has happened? I don't want to be part of that. We're united with purpose. The purpose of Jesus Christ. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. And, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, can you believe it? But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, underline that if you like to underline things in your Bible, I saw that their conduct was not in step with, with the truth of the gospel. The way, they're not acting right. I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What has happened here is that the church at Antioch was made up largely of Gentile Christians. Peter, who uh, was a pillar in the church, you know, he had this vision that he could eat anything and that he could accept Gentiles. And then after the Jews came back, he was like, uh, maybe, I should, maybe I should go back to following these rules. Maybe I should act like this when I'm around these people and act like this when I'm around these people. And so Paul comes to him face to face and is like, look, you're, you're not keeping the conduct of the gospel. You're beginning to follow externals. You're beginning to go backwards. This is, this is the, the vision he had in Acts 10, 9 through 14. If you want to turn there, it's there on the screen. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by the four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Many pastors call this a pig in a blanket came down. And here's the verse that all hunters have on their coffee mug. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Peter received a revelation from God that what he deems clean is clean and what he deems justified is justified regardless of ceremonial laws, cultural bias, and denominational regulations. God's like, what are you doing calling things unclean that I've called clean? What are you doing following man-made rules and saying that that's what makes you justified before God when I am what makes you justified before God. Christ comes and he gives Peter a clear picture of what the gospel truth is, yet Peter eventually reverted back to a right belief with a lifestyle of wrong behavior, which is hypocrisy, and it was contagious. If you look there in the verse, it says that all the other Jews did the same. You know what? Maybe he's right. Maybe we should follow these rules. Maybe we, should, maybe we should act this way. Maybe we should look this way. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Fear. Oh, I better, I better look a certain way. I better act a certain way or I won't be accepted. And for the sake of the gospel unity, Paul confronted Peter on his hypocrisy. And he did it, do you notice? Face to face. 
He didn't get on Facebook. You know what so-and-so did? He didn't get on Twitter. He didn't get on Instagram. He didn't get on Chapsnat or whatever you kids call it. He didn't get on that. He went face-to-face. He didn't write a letter. He didn't even put it in the mail. Face-to-face. He had enough gospel guts to approach somebody and say, look, what you're doing is disunifying to the body. What if we had enough gospel guts to go to people and say, look, what you're doing is not in line with the gospel truth. It's disunifying to the body of Jesus Christ. That Christ came. He died for all. Peter's sin, what was it? Peter's sin was taking his own preference so serious that he established rules of moral significance that were only culturally relative. That doesn't sound very bad, does it? What he was doing is he was taking his own preference This is what I think is right. This is the type of music I think we should listen to. This is the type of thing I think we should do. This is how I think we should dress. My own preference in elevating it to a moral significance where you're not not living right if you're not living by my preference. And it was only relevant in that culture. It was only relevant to the Jews that were in that area. So do we ever alienate, disassociate, or eliminate other Christians based on the fact that they don't fit in into our morally significant cultural standards of Christianity? Do we ever say, no, you don't fit in because you don't don't hold the same preferences I do that I've raised to a moral significance? You don't don't play by the same rules. You don't follow the same laws as I do. So you you must not be a Christian. That's really easy in a cultural Christianity, Southern Bible Belt culture. It's really easy when we get our our faces and our eyes on denominational distinctions or political views or cultural biases. But no, no, you're not. You must not be a Christian because you're not. You're not living up to my standard. And so, what does Paul do? What you're doing is damaging the unity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What you're doing is you're putting restrictions on people that were never meant to be there. We're not justified by what we do. See, gospel unity is not gained by having good southern morals and manners. Gospel unity is gained by becoming gospel-centered. Gospel unity is accomplished when we look to Jesus more than we look at ourselves and others. If we're always comparing ourselves, if we're always measuring people's Christianity by how they look and what they act like and the rules they follow, then our, our focus is not in the right place. Our focus should be on Jesus Christ. And when our focus is on Jesus Christ, the gospel truth becomes more clear, becomes more focused. And then we can hold each other accountable to the truth. Here's the last one. No other gospel sanctifies. No other gospel sanctifies. Verse 15, we're going to kind of go through these and I'll, I'll break them up. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So Paul says, look, we're Jews. We follow the law. We're not like Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Look, we, we grew up with the law, and we know that that's not what makes us justified before God. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what, what Paul says is, look, we know the rules. We know the law. We were raised by this, we were following this, and we realized that it doesn't make us right before God, only Jesus Christ does. So even us Jews who follow the law, we had to put our faith in Jesus Christ because that's the only way you're going to be justified. Because if you put yourself, you put yourself under the law, you'll never be justified. 
You'll never be good enough. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners in Christ, then a servant of sin... Uh, no, let me read that again. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now that's on a coffee mug somewhere. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So he says here in verse 17, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Basically what he's saying here is justification is in Christ, and it isn't about keeping rules, because if you make Jesus a bringer of rules, you make him a bringer of sin and condemnation and death. So if our new way of life is Jesus plus rules, then it's not enough. We'll never be good enough. All we'll find is more condemnation. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because past, present, and future sins have all been dealt with on the cross. You've been declared justified in your faith. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To live for God means to have faith in Christ and to make much of God because of Christ. The Christian life is less about what we do as proof, and it's all about what he does in us. Some of you need to hear that freeing, that freeing truth this morning. Christianity is less about what you do for acceptance and proof that you're a Christian, and much more about what he does and has done on our behalf. That is sanctification. Sanctification is Christ's work in us, not us becoming better Christians. This is why Jesus said this in John 15, 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you want to try it on your own, Try to follow rules. It won't last. There's so many people who burn out after they come to faith. And they'll say things like, well, I tried Jesus. It just didn't work for me. I tried Jesus because I tried to do all the things and it just didn't work. I, I tried. And so if you're trying and you're failing, you're going to get really frustrated well, I guess it's not working. But if you're surrendering and you're dying and you're giving your life to Christ, then he will work. He will do something and you will bear much fruit. Romans 6, 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The word baptized there is immersed. Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Jesus Christ were also immersed into his death? We died in our old way. We died 
in sin. We died with Christ, and we are risen to newness of life. That's why baptism is a beautiful picture of a new life in Christ, because you have died to your old way in Christ. You've been immersed with him, and you are risen to newness of life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has given you his spirit to live in and through you, and so you are a new creation. Do you not realize that? That if you will be immersed with Jesus Christ, that you will find that he lives in and through you? And it's not about following rules. It's not about looking a certain way, dressing a certain way, acting a certain way. The Christian life is not so much you and I living for Christ as it is trusting Christ to live for us and through us and in us. And this is by faith. I close with asking you this. Do you have faith? Do you have the gospel truth? Are you tired? Is the yoke heavy and the burden light? Is religion wore you out because you're just trying to be good? Why don't you surrender today? Why don't you surrender to the gospel truth that God, you did it all. And I want you to do it all in me today. Maybe you've never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never surrendered and said, I, I, want, I want you and I want to be declared just, justified. I want you to wipe away every sin. Maybe today is the day that you pray that prayer. I just ask that you respond to a God who is worthy of praise, worthy to be worshipped, worthy to be surrendered to. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.